Thank you, Tony. Well, 24th of May, Wesley Day, Aldersgate Sunday. What better Sunday can there be for a Methodist minister to say a huge and genuine thankful, uh, thank you, bless you and goodbye. I want to express a sincere thank you to all at Methodist Central Hall Westminster, to its wonderful staff team, past and present, that it's been my privilege to lead, to you, the marvellous, diverse and deeply committed congregation, and to the many great and dedicated staff who share our iconic building with us. Helen and I have had five very happy years with you all, and we've surely received more than we've given. And you have been a great blessing to us. So thank you and God bless you all. Uh, Reverend Tony Miles, rightly loved and respected, will lead you through the next few years. Continue to love and support him and Francis and be a blessing to them as they surely will be a blessing to you. As has already uh, been said or indicated, today brings to a close not only five years here at Central Hall, but a much longer period of ministry which actually began after four years in college in 1981, since when Helen and I have worshipped and served and worked and laughed and cried with some simply wonderful folk uh, in the Leeds South and Shipley and Bingley circuits, uh, at Edgehill College in Biddeford, North Devon, during 12 years at Cliff College and seven years working with our brilliant Methodist Connectional team before coming here to Central Hall in 2015. And in each of those appointments, we've been befriended, challenged and loved. And that's a precious thing. And today I want to thank everyone who has partnered with us along this four decade journey. It means more to us than I'm able to express today. But the Lord bless you all and thank you so much. Well, what to say in my last sermon in this role, if I'm to say very much at all, because as you might imagine, uh, this is a bit of a struggle, so please bear with me. But I want to try and weave together two things. First, that it is Wesley Day. And second, that I promise to focus on the church motto for 2020 on this last Sunday. Chosen, remember, a long time before we knew what this year might have in store for us. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, which dear Genevieve was going to read for us and Tony did. Uh, and my version of that uh, passage uh, is from the uh, New Revised Standard Version. It goes like this. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Uh, you won't be surprised that I have three points to make. They're all quite brief. And nor will it surprise you that, as always, I'm preaching to myself as well as to you. First, we're urged to excel in the work of the Lord, to stick at it, to keep going in our discipleship of Christ, both as individuals and as congregations of Methodist Christians. Some of you at Methodist Central Hall might remember that my very first sermon was about pilgrimage and how we, minister and congregation, have been placed together for the next chapter in a long tradition of offering worship to God, offering Christ to all and offering love and support to each other. And I invited you to take a scallop shell, a sign of the pilgrim and incidentally, a sign associated with the Wesley family crest. 
to indicate your own commitment to the long walk of discipleship, to holy witness, to Christ-like service. And some of you still have that shell, and so do I, but mine's sadly locked up in the church office. My last sermon to you this morning is similar to the first. Be steadfast, excel in the work of the Lord. Well, how do we do that, Martin, you might say? And I say to you, rely on and be open to the Holy Spirit and she will enable you. And then live out a saying often associated with John Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's the work of the Lord. Let's keep at it and let nothing deter us from it. Second, Paul says to the Corinthians, know and be assured, live as if you know it's true, that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. I bet there's not a person listening to me who hasn't at one point or other wondered whether it's all worth it questioned whether what we do as Christians makes any real difference. I certainly have at various times down the years. So we hear this. In the Lord, our labour is not in vain. Some of you have ministered and worked in local churches that have slowly declined down decades and some have watched them close. This morning, know that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. The fractious disciples in Corinth certainly knew disillusionment. A small, pretty volatile, divided group of Christians struggling in a sea of sin city. And some had suffered and died, which is one reason why the end of chapter 15 is set in the context of teaching about the resurrection of Jesus and the hope it brings. Just as some of our loved ones have died, some during my time with you, some very recently. And we miss them, don't we? So notice this. There are other places in this chapter when Paul uses the phrase in vain. The first time makes much the same point as our first point. Hold fast to what I preach to you unless you believed in vain, he says. But the second time is this. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. But, he goes on, Christ has been raised from the dead and in Christ all shall be made alive. And therefore the apostle says to them and to us this morning, know that in the Lord your labour and their labour, those who have now gone be to, to be with the Lord, is not in vain, because it's rooted in faith and hope in the risen Christ. In late 1735, John and Charles Wesley, the great founders of Methodism, freshly ordained and shaped by membership of the Holy Club in Oxford, were sent to Savannah, Georgia. Charles as secretary to the governor and John as a missionary to the native Indians, and both of them as chaplains to the European colonists. It was by any fair estimate, something of a failure. 
Charles stayed only five months before heading back home. John, brash and tactless, created dissension and division like a magnet. And after the infamous Lost Love Sophie Hopke episode, virtually fled home in December 1737 to avoid possible imprisonment. And it was on that long, turbulent boat trip back to England that he famously wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? It was a dark time in their lives. But, but without the hard negative experiences of Savannah, it's hard to imagine that John Wesley would be at a meeting in Aldersgate Street on the 24th of May, 1738, having his heart strangely warmed by God. It was in Georgia that John Wesley first experimented with class meetings, none too successfully there, but they would become a key vehicle for Christian nurture and discipleship here in Britain. It was in Georgia that he studied several languages, especially German, which enabled him to access many of the ideas he then taught and preached over nearly 60 years and which changed so many lives and changed the face of Britain. And it was in Georgia that both Charles and John began to formulate the first of what would be a long series of hymn books by which the people called Methodists would express and sing their faith right down to today. Now, do you see it? In the Lord, nothing is in vain. Nothing ultimately is wasted. God takes everything we offer and bends it to kingdom usefulness. Even when we can't see the connections between this work and that outcome, I want to assure you this morning that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. So take heart, take hope, keep faith, and keep on faithfully doing the work of the Lord, because, as the dying John Wesley told us, the best of all is, God is with us. Lastly, I want you to note how this verse starts. Therefore, my beloved, and after all the hassle and messes and accusations and fallouts that the Corinthians have given Paul, Therefore, my beloved. We tend at the moment to look at the significant issues that divide the Methodist world and many a congregation today as if they are a break in an otherwise perfect tradition of agreement and like-mindedness. Not at all. In fact, I think Charles Wesley must have been having a migraine when he wrote, even now we think and speak the same and cordially agree. I mean, even here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, we do have our moments, don't we? Like the Corinthian Christians, Methodists are a broad camp with many a fault line. And they always have been, most definitely so in the white heat of the birth and growth of Methodism in the lifetimes of John and Charles Wesley. So it was into a fractious, potentially explosive and divisive context that John Wesley appealed to Methodist Christians. Though we cannot think alike, he said, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, he said, 
we may. Perhaps he'd been thinking of St. Paul, therefore, my beloved. Some suggest that Wesley's teaching and practice can be distilled into three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Because you see, love sustains when other things won't. Love heals when other things won't. Love forgives when other things won't. And love, love for God, love for God's people, and love for all people is at the heart of Methodist discipleship. And if you forget all else that I've said to you this past five years, and I suspect you will, please remember this. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. Bless you all. Amen.